Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. Today's episode features two technology-themed interviews, both recorded with speakers at the recent Toronto ACG Capital Connection. In the first half of the podcast, I talked to Shelby Austin, Managing Partner of Omnia AI at Deloitte Canada, about artificial intelligence and how it's changing the nature of work. The second half of the episode features my conversation with Christine Ng, co-lead of the technology practice at McCarthy Tetro, who discusses fintech innovation. I am here with Shelby Austin, managing partner of Omnia AI at Deloitte Canada. Shelby, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So we are speaking at the Toronto ACG Capital Connection, where you just gave the morning keynote address. And in talking about what artificial intelligence is, you said that it really has a living definition. Can you talk about what you mean by that? Um, Sure. What I mean by that is that as the technology improves, we still refer to it as artificial intelligence. So uh, what was referred to as artificial intelligence in the 70s and 80s would be completely different from the techniques that we're using today. Um, But we would still refer to it as artificial intelligence because really what we're talking about is the use of an array of technologies uh, to solve challenges um, and do work that, that mimics what humans did or do. And can you talk about Omnia AI and the group's role at Deloitte? Sure. Omnia AI is Deloitte's artificial intelligence practice in Canada. It consists of about 400 practitioners who work in everything from strategy through data transformation, through driving insights and actually making the machine learning models as well. Mm. And so uh, it's everything from more business-oriented practitioners who have subject matter expertise, for example, in a particular domain in energy, um, operational efficiency, mm. or in financial services, in wealth, and putting those folks who have that particular expertise along with the people who understand data, along with the people who understand the models, to bake up a really attractive proposition that solves actual business problems for corporations using artificial intelligence. Where do companies, particularly mid-sized companies, where do they stand in terms of their adoption of AI? Are you seeing middle market companies harness this technology, or is it still really early days? You know, I think it's early days in the mid-market. Mm-hmm. That said, I think it is becoming a competitive imperative. So we know for sure that those who will win uh, in their own markets will be using data, insights, and by extension, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And as a result, if we know who will be in the winner's circle, it's pretty easy to suggest that those who get there sooner will have a better chance at being there. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, particularly because the world is now a global competitive landscape, including in the mid-market, and that we're no longer sort of competing just with Canada for various industries. Again, I'll use the example of energy or banking or um, private equity, where there's no such thing as, you know, a Canadian private equity firm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, notionally, you can be from here, um, but you would be looking at targets everywhere. And so the idea is that, as the global competitors have moved, and we've seen much greater adoption around the world, um, we need to also act in turn. And so the opportunity for middle market companies to be first movers or fast followers, as, as they would be now, is, uh, is, is a really big one and one that may, may secure a winning position going forward. 
It's interesting you say that about global competitiveness because I feel like Canada really has the reputation as a country of really supporting technology in its tech sector. So with that in mind, you know, does that translate to the broader business community? And are you seeing Canadian middle market companies maybe adopt emerging technologies faster than their U.S. counterparts? You know, the unfortunate answer to that is no. Hmm. Um, And the challenge I think we face as a country, and I know that that's a big way of putting it, but that's what I believe, is that we are really great at harnessing supply. You know, we're really great at building up great talent in technological disciplines like artificial intelligence, like data science. And as a result, it is a moral, if not a business imperative, for Canadians to provide demand for that talent, Hmm. or we will risk losing that talent. And why does any of that matter? Um, Well, number one, I think it matters because we're in the stage where we're setting the rules of the road for artificial intelligence and what it can do. And those that sort of first move will have the chance to be rule setters. Hmm. And as a result, can sort of significantly change the landscape so they can set it up to be a winning landscape for themselves. Um, So I think that that's important. But number two, if we see Canada lead, we will ensure that we grow up to be a highly ethical, highly value-oriented artificial intelligence community. And if we let it grow up elsewhere in the world, that may not be the case. Um, And so obviously, I'm not sure that there is an arms race in artificial intelligence, but it's often described that way, you know, with with countries in in Europe and Asia also putting forward leading positions around AI. For example, China has put forward an AI strategy, um, as has Russia, as has France. And so, you know, we, we start to see that we are having... That, that our supply will be lost to us if we don't sort of maximize that, that orientation here as well. Hmm. And sort of on the other end of the spectrum for industries that have been slower to adopt these technologies, what does this mean for jobs? If we replace what humans are doing using AI, what's the best use of, of human intelligence at that? Yeah, so, so I think the question of artificial intelligence becomes really about humanity quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are we going to do with this technology? What's good use? What's bad use? And what does that what does that do to the jobs that it replaces? And and what does our social fabric as a society allow? Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's interesting because it's such a deep technology discipline, and yet demands of us so much humanity mm-hmm. um, and so many other disciplines um, and so much cognitive diversity when we think about this. I'm not sure I have all the answers on jobs, mm-hmm. um, but I do know that number one, as a trend, we're seeing trends toward retraining and redeployment instead of reducing headcount. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's from a shareholder value perspective. People believe that their shareholders don't want them to see reduction of headcount due to technology. Interesting. Which is which is a, a really burgeoning but interesting trend. Uh-huh. Um, and then number two, you know, in addition to retraining, you know, we're really ensuring that we are addressing these questions collectively. And so I think what we are pushing is, you know, the Canadian government needs to be involved in these discussions. The U.S. government, you know, like governments abound, Mm -hmm. need to have a better understanding of what is the future of work. You know, what does it mean? Both uh, both from a job perspective, which is obviously the most critical one, Mm -hmm. but also from do machines pay taxes? Um, You know, do how do you train and onboard machines into your workforce? You know, how do you 
How do you treat your machines? Like, it's just all sorts of new and interesting questions about the future. And it sounds very sci-fi, right? Yeah. Um, but this is, but these are questions that we tackle. Hmm. And do you think those questions will be addressed by governments or is that more of a role for corporations or is it ultimately a combination of the two? I think, I think we come to better answers the more people we have at those tables. Huh. Um, and particularly like the question of jobs and what jobs will mean in the future, mm-hmm. I think is a question that needs to be answered by all of us. Now, there are lots of people who would say, um, you know, that there have been points in history where we've seen, you know, industrial revolutions, for example, uh, which I think this is referred to as the fourth. And so where, you know, rural has shifted to urban, you know, and other various trends, steam engine, electricity, photocopier, fax machine, where we thought that maybe jobs would be significantly reduced as a result. And that hasn't occurred. Hmm. Um, And there are many people who will cite those experiences as meaning that we don't have to worry about it now. I think that that's probably, you know, a little too comforting. I think we probably need to address it more head on because the pace of change for artificial intelligence is projected to be much faster. Hmm. What excites you the most about the future of artificial intelligence or other emerging technologies? Uh, For me, what excites me the most is that we really have the ability to potentially change the world. Hmm. the idea that people talk to their phones all the time is totally different. The idea that we buy everything online is totally different. And so now that that pace is increasing ever faster, you know, how does that change the world? I think is a huge question. For, for me, the most obvious answer is, um, is around healthcare. You know, like okay. what can we do if a grandparent can leave their data to their grandchildren as a means to solve diseases for them going forward. What does it mean when our legacy is less about the picture in the picture frame and more about the genomic code? Mm. Um, You know, I I think that there's just some really mind-blowing, amazing thoughts that you can have if you sort of push yourself in that direction. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Shelby. Thank you so much. Up next is my interview with Christine Ng on the topic of fintech. I'm here with Christine Ng, co-lead of the technology practice at McCarthy Tetro. Christine, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Katie. So a lot of mainstream conversation around fintech has centered around consumer-facing platforms and payment systems. What type of transformative impact are you seeing on the commercial side? Yeah, the the banks are are, um, investing heavily in what I would call back-office systems to improve efficiency. So there's much hype about the bank-to-consumer type of fintech innovation. But in fact, where we see an inordinate amount of work is in the area of really process optimization, where banks have existing systems that are older, and rather than sort of rebuilding them internally as they once did, they are now looking to source those solutions from third-party providers. Many of the solutions are uh, cloud-based solutions, Mm -hmm. and uh, most of the solutions will require configuration to bank requirements and and business rules, but there certainly is a a widespread adoption of these uh, solutions from third-party providers. Um, When the banks actually do these acquisitions, there is a very lengthy uh, risk management protocol and and, um, diligence that's done around the provider you know, who's the, who is the provider uh, in terms of their financial uh, wherewithal, 
certainly information security is at the forefront of really all all bank decisions. So there'll be a very lengthy information security diligence process. Hmm. Ongoing ability to to audit the performance of the provider is uh, also very important, uh, making sure providers employ very robust risk management controls themselves, such as like background checks and making sure that their own data handling processes uh, accord with what the bank requirements are. And for someone who's involved in middle market private equity or M&A, what types of emerging technologies should they be focused on right now? There, there are a number. I mean, there, I, I think as an industry, it's no different than really any other industries. The use of uh, cloud where appropriate, the uh, use of business intelligence tools. One of the more interesting areas is in the area of alternative data. And this is uh, really harnessing the power of big data and supplementing insights about uh, uh, target companies using these these alternate sources of data. So examples of such sources would include the credit card transaction information uh, involving a particular uh, industry or a particular player in an industry, geospatial data. So we're talking about satellite imagery of um, you know how, how full parking lots are, how many uh, shipments of grain uh, have been going on. Even things like climate data, uh, where you know, for example, where that would have uh, a bearing on uh, vacationers or crop growth. So these are all alternate sources of data that are being collected and are now available as large data sets that can be analyzed using uh, various types of analytic tools, uh, including AI. So when combined with information that more traditional information and data that a private equity company can have, can have really provide that extra insight and uh, the predictive ability to um, really see where there is more value. And how are you seeing financial institutions adopt culturally to these new types of technologies? Are you seeing resistance to change? Are, Are people pretty eager to adapt? Yeah, I think all the Canadian banks really have recognized the importance of technology, certainly at the C-suite that is, uh, you know, it's an imperative at every bank. These are large organizations that are highly regulated, who have successfully mitigated risk, you know, in in light of all the uh, economic uh, meltdowns in other jurisdictions, the Canadian banks did very well. They are very well risk managed, which means that the, you know, uh, the risk management functions are um, having to try to understand the new risks that the, these technologies present hmm. and um, to make sure that, that the technologies don't have adverse, uh, you know, adverse impact on the operations of the bank. The reputation of the bank is always very important. Their customers, um, you know, making sure their customers are happy and that their customers have uh, data is always secure. So as with all the new technologies, I think the hardest area for banks to navigate relates to, well, first there's a regulatory regime, and then also just assessing the uh, cyber risk posed by the uh, a provider's solution. As I previously said, they, they spend a lot of time trying to understand those risks, and um, it can take time to understand the risks. So there's always a, you know, there's always a a deadline for a project, and there are many, many stakeholders that need to sign off on these projects. And um, I, I think it's probably fair to say that people want the projects done faster than they can actually get done um, uh, with all of the various stakeholders that are involved and who need to be satisfied that uh, the uh, the transaction still fits within the bank's risk appetite. 
Hmm. And in any conversation about financial technology or, or data collection, cybersecurity is, of course, front and center, as you mentioned. You know, we hear about breaches all the time and companies and, and investors seem to be taking this seriously. But are you seeing them take the right steps? Yeah, and I think it depends very much on the industry and really the uh, types of information that the um, the various organizations hold. So, you know, when we hear about data breaches, we primarily hear about them in sort of uh, B2C type businesses mm-hmm. where, you know, where the, the organization collects a large amount of personal information. With a private equity company, itself may not actually have that much personal information. I mean, it'll have employee information, but it doesn't engage with the public. They do have a lot of very valuable proprietary information, know-how. That does not trigger most of the data uh, the data breach requirements. It's really per- breaches involving personal information. Mm-hmm. But obviously, cybersecurity of an organization uh, to make sure that those their you know their crown jewels are are properly safeguarded are super important. I think everybody has been sufficiently scared by the mm-hmm. uh, negative press, um, even in industries that are not necessarily uh, B2C industries. And certainly um, in the last few years, we have seen many more organizations of, of all sizes come in to, to talk about their uh, breach response capabilities. Um, it generally involves uh, a cross-functional group within the organization, you know, not just the uh, chief technology officer or the IT director, but cer- certainly from the C-suite, um, there has been uh, much greater interest in how to mitigate that cybersecurity risk. Hmm. And where do you see organizations go wrong as they try to adopt new financial technologies, whether they're developing it in-house or they're going out and acquiring it? Where have you seen failure? Certainly in the fintech space, there's always a regulatory component that needs to be considered. Um, and the regulatory requirements vary from country to country. So you really have to know if you're on really the, you know, the provider side or the developer side of that, you really have to know what regulatory uh, requirements your customers will need to comply with. Hmm. The Canadian market is relatively small. You have a number of U.S. fintech providers whose solutions are primarily targeted at, at uh, uh, U.S. Uh, bank customers. So when uh, folks come up into Canada... Um, there is a bit of a process to make sure that their their solutions actually comply with the regulatory requirements up here. Hmm. I think where you know small fintechs are challenged, it's really in the area of trying to understand what the what a bank's information security requirements are. There's bank grade secu- security, which is you know it, it's high. There are a number of different controls and considerations per- given, and for fintechs, if you have you know if it's the first bank that you're dealing with, it will surprise you uh, how many info- information security requirements there are, hmm. and how many you know how many rounds of diligence you will need to go through. If you have not engaged in discussions with a bank cus- potential bank customer at the time that you are designing your solution, then you may find that your solution cannot meet the bank requirements oh. and um, you may be disappointed after uh, the diligence period that uh, the bank simply can't go forward. So I would really encourage fintechs to, uh, you know, to understand what their customer requirements are in the area of information security, as well as audit to make sure there's an adequate audit trail um, very early on in the game. Hmm. And as someone who follows technology trends closely, what excites you most about the future? I like the idea of 
data that is um, recorded correctly and can only needs to be entered once. Uh, I think that there's so much so much effort is being put into implementing systems that can adequately talk to one another so that uh, you know there's really a single source of data rather than a bunch of um, separate data repositories that all need to be updated each time. Hmm. So the idea that you, you, you can have um, more more accurate data that is used in, um, uh, in multiple different uh, systems is something that excites me and that's subject to uh, Making sure that um, my, you know, my privacy is respected. But uh, I, I think that's just there's a lot of wasted storage. There's a lot of wasted process, just simply about updating records. And uh, if we can just, just yeah, move past that, we will have already done an awful lot. So looking forward to a more efficient world. That's right, <laughs> Christine. Thanks so much for joining me on the thanks podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.